All right. Good morning. Welcome to day 36 of the Windows and Mirrors podcast. All right. So Numbers 21 through 24. All right. So just to set a little context of where we've been, right? Numbers 20 ended off with Moses' rebellion. And we talked about how even um, our track record of faithfulness doesn't guard us from failures, right? So we've seen that. And then in the end of the chapter, we have uh, Aaron who dies, right? He literally dies. And what the Bible is trying to show us is that this first generation is dying off, right? The second generation, the generation that actually will take the land is the main focus of the book right now. The book of Numbers is about the people of God. How do we remain faithful in the wilderness? How do we live in, bet- in the in-between, right? We've already been set free, but we have still not got the finalized uh, version of God's promises and plan, right? How do we live now in the in-between? And they are where we are. So now when we come to chapter 21, we have opposition, right? Um, opposition by this Canaanite king who opposes the Israelites. And they basically come to God and say, yo, God, if you will hand this people over to us, then we will destroy them. You see that that's a conditional clause. Um, and it's contingent upon God, right? God giving them the victory is the only way they can gain it. That same is true for us as we face our enemies in this life, which is, you know, sin, which is um, the, Satan himself and our own flesh, right? We know that our, our victory doesn't come in and of our own strength. It only comes from God. The only way we can get it is if he allows us to gain it by his victory and power and strength. And so they get the victory. And then after that, they fall, right? Second generation fails again, just because you are saved doesn't mean you can't uh, mess up. And so here the second generation fails. um, And it's because of their impatience, right? They are impatient. They complain and they're on Moses's head, right? They're like, bro, why did we even come out of Egypt? We ain't got bread, water, and the food is trash, right? And so God uh, brings judgment on these Israelites. Um, he brings snakes. Some Israelites die, but the ones who don't die, watch this, they run to Moses, right? They run to Moses. He lifts the snake up and those that look to it are saved, right? Jesus will refer back to this in John 3 to draw a parallel between what happens here and his work. What God is trying to show us is that he always leaves a remnant. He always leaves a few, a faithful few who don't turn his back or their back on him, right? In every era, all throughout biblical history, there are going to be some who fall away, but God always leaves a remnant so that his promises can be realized. So after that, you know, they come uh, and have more opposition, right? Um, The Amorite kings and then the king of Bashan at the end of the chapter. And what God is trying to show here again is that, you know, God is saying, hey, I could do what the 10 spies in the first generation did not believe I could do or would do, right? God is saying, I just want y'all to trust me, right? That's all I want. I just want you to trust. God wants you to trust him. He doesn't just want people. He doesn't just want to get people out of their wickedness, but he wants people who trust him, trust his wisdom in the wilderness. God does not just want to get you out of your sin. He wants you to trust him for your everyday life as well. So Numbers 22 comes. And in this chapter, we have one of the strangest 
yet one of um, the most popular uh, stories in scripture. So what happens, right? Israel has come to settle in the plains of Moab, right? They're getting so close to the promised land that they can probably smell it. Now there's this guy, King Balak. He's king of Moab. And he's hip to everything that was done to the other regions by the Israelite army. So you know what he does? He tries to get slick. He says, yo, he go get Balaam. He tells his people, go get Balaam. Now, Balaam is a pagan sorcerer of Mesopotamia, right? And he's called on to pronounce a curse on Israel. However, what the story wants to show us is that enemies can't curse those whom God has blessed. Remember the promise to Abraham, right? He promised to bless Abraham. He promised to bless his seeds, right? And this covenant that God made is still playing out and God is, remains faithful to that covenant promise. So he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. go get the uh, go get Balaam. He's going to pronounce a curse on Israel. Right. So folks come to Balaam and express words uh, of Balak that Balak uh, said to him. And Balaam is like, yo, I'm going to just wait on God. Right. God says, don't go with these folks. Um, they're blessed. No way they can be cursed. Right. Folks go away. They come back a second time. Balak doesn't want to disobey God. Nevertheless, God comes to him in a dream and tells him to go. Notice how Balaam now notice how Balaam's response is handcuffed to God's revelation. Right. Our response should always be always be handcuffed to the word of God. What God says is what we do. Right. Same got to be true for us. So then comes the scene with the donkey. Really, really weird. Um, basically, Balaam rides on this donkey because God finally tells him to go. Um, and uh, as he's on the way to Moab, right, he is stopped three times in chapter 22 by an angel of the Lord. Balaam's eyes are finally open. And God ultimately says to him, as he goes, only say what I tell you. Right. And I think the whole point this story is trying to show us is that God's grace and mercy to us usually have an ironic way of reaching us. And his promises have an unexpected way of unfolding. Right. Uh, I remember one thinker said, um, ex when you're dealing with God, you should expect the unexpected. God works in ways that are just beyond our comprehension in our own even rationality at times, right? And so in the final two chapters, Balaam gets to uh, where the Israelites are and where Balak is, and he presents these four oracles, right, in chapters 23 and 24. And in the first oracle, he's pretty much talking about how Israel is the dust of Jacob, right? And this is an allusion to Genesis 13 and all of the promises God was making to Abraham, Right. God had promised to bless him. God made a covenant around that. And Israel doesn't consider itself also among the nations because God chose them out of all the nations of the earth to be his special people and to bless the earth through them. Right. Then he comes with the second oracle. Right. And basically he's like, yo, God's declaration is irreversible. In other words, once God declares something as so, nobody can change it, right? So for us, once God declares us as righteous, once God makes us sons, once God says we're forgiven, once God says we're his, nobody, not Satan, not the world, not uh, uh, anybody, anybody, anybody can change that. Not even us, right? 
And it's not even because of who we are, but because of who he is. God doesn't make empty promises. Third Oracle. Balaam here in the third Oracle, he shows that what God has promised them, even though they may not see them, doesn't mean it isn't real, right? So he's in this chapter talking about the land, right? He's specifically talking about um, how beautiful Israel's tents will be and all this stuff. And so what he's trying to say is, no, 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 this is what we see by faith, right? Faith sees, right? Faith sees that which God says, right? Because of his covenant that he made with the patriarchs, right? Over and over and over again, all of these allusions to the patriarchs is trying to show the faithfulness of God from generation to generation. And then finally, in the fourth oracle, Israel's promises are not just about Israel, right? They're about Jesus. This is what the text says. It says, um, this is Balaam speaking. He says, I see him, but not now. I perceive him, but not near. A star will come from Jacob and a scepter will arise from Israel. He will smash the forehead of Moab and strike down all the Shittites. And then in number, that was Numbers 24, 17. And then in Numbers 24, 19, he says, one who comes from Jacob will rule. He will destroy the city's survivors. So this star language, this scepter language, that's all kingly, uh, uh, royal language that he's using. That's why um, Revelation will even call Jesus the morning star, right? Um, and so what, what the Bible is saying is, no, 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 these promises that God gives are not just for you, but they find their ultimate fulfillment in Christ, right? In Jesus. And that's the way that they fully and ultimately come to you and all the people of the earth that place their faith in Jesus, right? And the text is just saying, man, like we are not saved because we keep God's commands. We are saved because God keeps his promises, right? The people of God will make it to the promised land because of God, right? The promises, this is, this is what the, the Bible is so good because it's, man, the promises of God are our lifeline in the wilderness. Right now, again, I cannot stress this enough. We are in the wilderness. We have not yet made it to the kingdom of heaven with Jesus. We are still in this middle space, in the in-between. And the only way to thrive is to believe the promises of God. God usually, it may not seem like it, it may not feel like it, it may not look like it, but God usually takes the alternative route, right? If we're faced with opposition, that doesn't mean we're not on the, on the way to our destination, right? Just because we're faced with opposition doesn't mean we're not on the way to our destination. We are moving toward what God said we would have. And by faith, we really do actually have it already, even though we can't see it. But that's, but that's how it's always been, right? We have to remember the disciples was waiting on a Messiah to come and, re and restore Israel. And when they seen Jesus on a cross, right? 
Do you do you think it looked like to them that he was restoring Israel? No. Right? But he was. But he was. And they had to trust the Lord. And when he got up, three days later, he proved that what he was doing was the fulfillment of every single promise God made to his people. When I say because we keep God's commands, we're saved because God keeps his promises, even when it doesn't look like it, even when the wilderness is weary. The promises of God are people of God's lifeline.